Is this working? There it is. <laughs> Moment of suspense, slow walk up, boom on the microphone. Uh, great to be here. This is, this is better, maybe from here. It's a little better, less piercing to the eardrum. Okay, good. just want to say a quick prayer, just to invite the Lord to be part of this before we dig in. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you for bringing us here to this place, on this campus, in this moment, for purposes known only to you, but we thank you for it. We thank you for loving us as you do and for being attentive to every detail of our life. Give us eyes to see your hand working more in our life and just fill me with your Holy Spirit so whatever I can say will bring you glory. We dedicate this time to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Great to be with y'all. Uh, this is a great place. Uh, I want to talk to y'all tonight about native soil. I don't know if that, those words mean anything to you, native soil. But literally, you think about native soil, that's where you're from. That's where you're born, right? And you know we're down here in the south, and that's one thing that's important to us is where we're from. Amen? Amen. Anywhere we go, you say, hey, man, you know, what do you do and where are you from? And down here in South Louisiana, you have all these little towns that you could be from. You know, it's like here on the bayou or a little further north shore, and like you make like Boudin here, and you make like Jambalaya here, and you got like all these little things. Where we're from is really important to us. Amen? And rightly so. I was born in San Diego. Didn't see that one coming. My dad was in the Navy, and uh, my older sister was born in Yokosuka, Japan. I was born in San Diego. My little sister was born in San Diego. Then we moved to Virginia Beach. Then my dad got out of the Navy, and we moved to Montgomery, Alabama when I was six years old because that's where he had grown up, and I, and I was there ever since. Um, strangely, when I entered seminary, the first Catholic school I ever went to in my life was seminary. So it was like, I knew like half the Hail Mary and like part of the Our Father. So I was like, it was like a miracle I wound up there. But as far as, when you go to seminary, you, you meet a lot of guys from South Louisiana. Because this is like Catholic Disneyland in the South. In the Southeast of the United States, this is like Catholic Disneyland. Montgomery, Alabama, where I'm from, is 1% Catholic. This is like all Catholic. So um, when you go to seminary, you meet a lot of guys from South Louisiana. And I was blessed to get to be friends with them. And about that same time... Uh, I don't know why, but in God's providence, there's this little gravity to South Louisiana. But my older sister, Courtney, moved to New Orleans. And she got married, and she has four kids. And all, my niece and my three nephews, born and raised in New Orleans, they're obsessed with red beans and rice. They die and live for Mardi Gras. I didn't even know what Mardi Gras was growing up. But now it's like we have like a multicultural family. we got like South Louisiana part of our family. And we got like the Alabama part of our family. And then, uh, you know, getting to know Father Josh and Father Andrew through Priest World. You know, it's a, Catholic World's a small world. Priest World is a very small world. And um, so all that to say, South Louisiana, I actually spent the night in New Orleans last night seeing my mom, my, my family there. I mentioned all of that to say, when you think about native soil, where we're from, we define where we're from in different ways from kind of a worldly perspective. But I want to challenge us to consider where we're from, and where we belong from the eyes of Christ. And I want to use two stories from my life that really kind of challenged me to think a little bit more deeply about the role of place in our life. 
God has a plan for all of our lives, and for whatever reason, this is the place where we are tonight. This is the place where you go to school. This is the place where you belong to as a parish. And even the Catholic mentality, a parish, it's not just a church where people come and worship. It's a geographical boundary. Every Catholic parish is a geographical. In South Louisiana, y'all still use that term. Instead of counties, you call things parishes, don't you? Catholic Disneyland, like I said. And, but that's a very Catholic idea because churches for us, they aren't just places where you worship, but it's a geographical boundary, and the people who belong to that parish are responsible to evangelize, sanctify, and to reach out to every soul in that boundary, to build up the kingdom of God on every inch of every soil in that geographical boundary. Even in canon law, the law of the church, if you look up the responsibilities of a pastor of a parish, he's responsible for every soul that lives in that geographical boundary. So if you don't pray for Father Andrew every day, you really should because he's got a lot of people living in the geographical boundary of his parish. So I want to tell you two stories that for me kind of changed the way that I started thinking about the place that I belong, you know, what I should consider as my native soil. Strangely for me, of all the talks, the homilies, the lessons I've heard in my entire life, The two that have made arguably the biggest impact, the two that I remember most clearly happened at my two sisters' high school graduation ceremonies. Isn't that weird? That's when you should be taking a nap. You should be catching up on Instagram. But for whatever reason, you know you have like the invited speaker to give some words of wisdom to the graduating class. For whatever reason, the people who spoke at my sisters' high school graduations, it was just kind of this pivotal moment. So I'll start with my older sister, Courtney. She's two years older than me. She graduated in 2000, showing my age a little bit. But um, graduated in 2000, and the dude who gave the graduation address is named Bob Ingram. Bob Ingram was a local news anchor for local TV. It's like the nightly news. Everyone in Montgomery, you know there's that guy in all of our towns that everyone knows their name. He's going to tell you about the weather. He's going to tell you about high school football. He's going to tell you about whatever wreck happened on whatever interstate that goes to your town. Well, our guy, all grown up, was Bob Ingram. God rest his soul. He died just a couple years ago. Bob Ingram came up, and he just told a story. It was his whole address. He said, I'm going to tell you a story. And this is the story that he told. <clears throat> he told this story about a young guy named Johnny. Johnny was like your all-American guy in high school. He's quarterback of the football team, straight-A student, good-looking guy, cute girlfriend, just the all-American kind of guy. Johnny gets a scholarship to play football in college. He's kind of the man, you know. So he goes to college. By sophomore year, he's starting. Okay, so he's kind of the real deal, all right. We know about football down here in Baton Rouge, amen? Amen. So uh, Johnny is doing well. But Johnny was really good at football. He's a really good quarterback. He's also a really good student. And it's probably hard for you to imagine this, but some of the football players kind of knew there were certain classes you could sign up for that you didn't have to exert maybe as much effort for and you could get a little bit better grade. And those were kind of the classes that you wanted to take, especially during football season because you kind of had a full-time job playing football. Amen? (laughs) Everyone's like, okay. Um, So anyways, but Johnny would never take those courses. He's like, no, I'm also pre-med. I'm going to take my courses. I'm going to do my thing. I'm not going to take these easy courses. All the other football guys were always like, Johnny, why do you got to be such a goody two-shoes? Just take one easy course with us, take a break, whatever. He would never do it. Finally, his senior year, they wore him down. They're like, Johnny, quit 
trying to be better than us, just one time, let's just take one easy course. Take it easy. It's senior year. You're already going to med school. We already won all these games. You already proved yourself. Just take one easy course with us. It's like, ah. all right, I'll do one. Well, the one he gave in, there was one course that everyone knew was the easiest class in the entire school. Everyone's class. You want to get an A, you want to just kind of take this class. And the class was Introduction to the New Testament. Yeah, you know, Bible class, right? So, and the reason why it was so easy is the same guy had taught this class for 25 years. And every year for 25 years, there was no homework, there was no attendance, there were no tests, there were no quizzes. There was just one final exam, and there was one essay question, and it was always the same exact thing. And it was this. Describe in detail St. Paul's missionary journeys as recounted throughout the New Testament. Describe in detail St. Paul's missionary journeys as recounted throughout the New Testament. You got it? Remember that. So Johnny's a little nervous, but he's like day one, cracks up in the New Testament, starts reading, highlighting. He gets a map of the ancient Middle East, and he starts plotting on the map, like all the places that Paul went. He's got flow chart arrows about, okay, here, then here, then here, then here. Just like he had memorized all those football plays all those years, he's like, I'm going to get this like the back of my hand. I'm going to get an A, and I'm not going to let this, this class kind of surprise me. Still, though, he's a little nervous going to this class. Like, will this pan out as advertised? He went to every class. There was never any assignments. There was no homework. They never took role, and there were no tests. And so Johnny's feeling pretty good about his life. Well, everything's going great, and then comes the day of the test. Johnny and all the football players, they're outside the hall. They're chest bumping. They're high-fiving. They're grunting and growling and getting each other hyped up. We're going to crush this test. Going to get an A. Mother's refrigerator. Let's go. So uh, they get in there. Everyone's feeling good. They all got their seats. They're shooting the, uh, the guns. They're shooting guns. They're winking. And uh, then they start passing out the tests. And as the tests start getting passed out and it starts to circulate around the room, you can hear, like, audible groans. You can hear, oh. <laughs> you hear a lot of, oh. You know, there's just a lot of pain happening. Well, lo and behold, after 25 years, this professor, for whatever reason, decided to change the question. So everybody, all they've done, they just study this one thing. A lot of people never even came to class. They just studied, you know, for St. Paul's missionary journeys as we're kind of thought the New Testament. So everybody's just pulling out their hair. They're just like sweating bullets, just writing down gibberish. And most people after five, ten minutes, like whatever, you know. We gambled. We lost. Let's go to Dairy Queen, whatever. So all the football players, five, ten minutes, they're like getting out of here. But not Johnny. They look at Johnny. He's writing. And he's writing, and he's writing. All the guys are like, what's he doing? He doesn't know what to put down. Like, why is he wasting his time? It's so stupid. So they wait for him, and he stays into the entire allotment of time for this test. And finally, the teacher comes and takes it away from him. And so they're waiting for him, and they're like, what was that? What are you doing in there? We just waited for you two hours. So stupid. We're supposed to go to Dairy Queen. And uh, they're like, what were you putting down? He said, I don't know. I had to put down something. And he said, oh, let's, let's go to Dairy Queen. So they go to Dairy Queen. And like three days later, the professor puts out a message, and he says, all right, your tests are graded. Come see what you got. And he had all the grades posted outside of his door. 
So everybody's crowding around. Everyone's huddled up, and they're looking at the grades. And they're going down. It's like F, D minus, C minus, F double minus, <laughs> zero. <laughs> Go home, get a life, you know, whatever. And then they get down to Johnny's grade, A plus. And nobody can believe it. They're like, how did you pull this off? What kind of magic did you do in there? And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And so then some of the linemen are kind of like, tell us what you did. And they get him like shove him up against the wall. And they're like, tell us. And he's like, easy, you know. Um, so anyways, he, he finally gives in, and he just hands his test to him, and he says, well, y'all can read it if you want. Well, the question had been changed to this. The new question that everyone was surprised by was this. Describe and critique Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as, de- as recounted in the Gospel of Matthew. Describe and critique Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as recounted in the Gospel of Matthew. And so they started to read Johnny's essay. And he began like this. He wrote and he said, How could anybody possibly critique the greatest sermon given by the greatest man ever to walk the face of the earth. But while I'm at it, allow with, for me to share with you a little bit about St. Paul's missionary journeys as recounted throughout the New Testament. <laughs> and that joker went on to write everything that he had studied for the entire semester. He even drew a little map. He had dots. He had flowchart arrows. He put every name, every place in the thing. And the professor must have read this essay and got to and thought to himself, I like this guy. A plus. Isn't that a good story? So Bob Ingram tells this story. I'm like, why is he telling this story? That just took a really long time. That probably took like half my talk to tell you that story. And he said, the moral of this story is this. Use what you got. Use what you got. There's going to be a million moments in life where you will be frustrated by what you don't got. You will ruminate over what you don't got. You will even become resentful about what you don't got. You will spend hours, days, sometimes years of your life frustrated by what you don't got, by what God hasn't given you, by what your parents haven't given you, by what your school hasn't given you, your friends haven't given you, and you can waste a lot of your life just ruminating over what you don't got. He said, or like Johnny, in any given moment, no matter how bad things get, no matter how unexpected the circumstances are, you can dig down and say, well, what do I got? And have confidence that what you got in that moment is what God has determined that you need. And whatever it is, to the best of your ability, you can use what you got. And see what the Lord can do with that. Now, this is me extrapolating from Bob Ingram. What if David, when he was faced with Goliath, thought to himself, well, all I got is a couple of stones and this stupid sling. Might as well just go get my head chopped off. Wouldn't have turned out very well, right? What if Abraham, when God said, you're going to be the father of thousands of generations, you know? He's just like, I'm too old. That's what he said at first, but then he kind of opened himself up to what he got. 
you know? What if Jesus at the Last Supper looked at the 12 apostles and was like, oh, these guys are horrible. <laughs> this dude right here is about to betray me. I mean, let's just quit while we're ahead, you know? Let's go to Dairy Queen. Where would we be? But something about that, something about that, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been at a crossroads and I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm not prepared. I'm not ready. I'm not, I don't know what to do. And then I say, okay, Bobby Ingram, use what I got. What do I got, okay? I got cough drops. <laughs> you know, I got broken rosary. Oh, you know, all right, let's go. Let's, let's use what I got. Part of that is really believing that that God is real and he's with you in every single moment, that he's able to guide you, use you, inspire you in every moment. Whatever you got, that's what you got. And to be open to how he wants to do that. Okay, story two. Can y'all handle one more story? It's not as long. Did y'all like the Johnny story? Pretty good story. Bob Ingram, look forward to seeing you one day. Give you a high five. All right, second talk, my little sister Charlotte, who I nicknamed Chuck, much to my Mother's chagrin, but it's a great name. It's stuck with her for many years, also much to my mother's chagrin. But when Chuck graduated from high school, 2006, the guy, I don't remember the guy's name. I need to look this up. But he was a graduate from our school. He was kind of a nerd type, but he had made buku money on some kind of organic fertilizer, uh, you know, that he invented in a lab somewhere. And so our school invited him to come back. They're like, you made a lot of money. Talk to these kids. And so he did. And instead of giving a talk, what he did was this. He said, all right, who here? Now, bear with me. I'm from Alabama. This is not offensive, okay? Don't let this trigger you, okay? But he's like, who here is going to Auburn? You know, all the kids are like, yeah, War Eagle, let's go. You know, they're like, who here is going to Alabama? I was like, roll tide, let's go, let's go. You know, they're like, who here is going to South Alabama? And they're like, go Jags. And they're like, go through. UAB, all these things. You know, there's like, who here's going to LSU? And like that one, like, Cajun kid in our school, they're like, let's go! You know, <laughs> go Tigers! You know, <laughs> Coach O was there. I don't know how, but he was. So, um, so he goes through kind of all the local places. He's like, who here is, who here is going like way away? Who's going like out of state? So he had those people stand up. And like, where are you going? They're like, I'm going to Vanderbilt. Like, I'm going to North Carolina. I'm going to wherever. And so he's like, all right, everyone sit down. He's like, anyone go in the military? And like, yeah. And they're like, USA, US. So he did that. So after he'd done all this, he said to him this. He said, I'm proud of all of you. You're all graduates from high school. You're all doing different things. My advice to you is this. Go out there, wherever you go to school, get the best education you possibly can get. Travel the world. Become the most learned the most cultured, the most nuanced individual you can possibly be. And then one day, I challenge you to consider coming back home. Come back to Alabama and invest in a state that is last or next to last in virtually every discernible category of human life. And everyone in the gym is like, and then he just roasts us. He's like, poverty, education, obesity, Violent crimes, just boom, boom. He's just like boom, boom, boom. And he's like, in the categories that we aren't last, we can all collectively say, and I think y'all all might be doing this, thank God for Mississippi. Thank God for Mississippi. 
Because every now and then, Mississippi keeps us from being number 50. But if we're all honest, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, we're always vying for that 50 spot in most categories of human life. Amen? And I'm like, is this guy, where is this guy? But it was a moment I never, it was a moment, pivotal moment in my life. Because my whole life, I had never heard an adult challenge me with what he challenged. I'd had a lot of adults growing up saying, think about who you want to be. Think about what you want to do. Think about the gifts you have. I never heard somebody challenge me to think about where God might be calling me to be. And that day, I think the Lord used him to make me think about where, God, do you want me to be? Where we are, biblically, is very important. Jesus was born in a very specific place, Bethlehem. He grew up in a very specific place, Nazareth. He died in a very specific place that was prophesied about thousands of years before Jerusalem. And he called very specific people to follow him. And he sent those apostles out, and they went to very specific places to plant the gospel in the places where he sent them. I'm starting my sixth year as vocation director. I preach all the time about what is God calling you to do. And one definition I came across a couple years ago that has really kind of brought these ideas together is this. A guy named Frederick Buchner, he's a theologian, he once said this. There's a lot of ways to think about God's calling in your life. But what he said is that the place where God is calling you many times is where your greatest passion and the world's greatest need intersect. Where your greatest passion, where your greatest gifts, your greatest talents, and the world's greatest need, where does that intersect? And I'm here just to challenge you to consider the place where God might be calling you to believe is going to be a place where he's going to ask you to use what you've got in the place where he's called you to be. There is some need in the world that God has made you uniquely equipped to confront and bring his peace, bring his hand, bring his remedy to whatever the situation is. He's uniquely equipped you to bring what that person needs, spiritually, physically, concretely. Of all the things that Jesus said sum up all the scriptures, he says, love God and love your neighbor. He could have said love people. He could have said love little babies, love kittens. But he said love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor, those who are in proximity to you. The person that happens to be there in that whole Good Samaritan story, he says, who's my neighbor? He said, okay, this dude's laying on the ground. Who consider him to be the neighbor, right? God is attentive to every detail of who you are, of your talents and your weaknesses. He is also very attentive to the world, the landscape of the church, the landscape of the world, and he knows best where that, those two things come together. And I would just challenge you to be open to where that cross-section might be in your life. Growing up in Montgomery, you know, and 
I'm not saying everyone has to go back to their native soil, okay? I'm not saying everyone where you grow up, you've got to go back. But I do think, do sometimes we ride off where we grow up or where we are as the place where God might be calling us because we just want something different, right? We say, oh, well, i got to get out of here. i got to do something different. I know grow up in Montgomery, it's a place, most people grow up in Montgomery, like, oh, I can't get wait to get out of here. But I guess kind of the last thought I said, but, you know, is the only Christian response to a difficult situation, whether it be a difficult situation in the church, in a town, in a certain area of town, is just to bail? Is that all we can do as Christians? <laughs> well, this really doesn't look good. See ya, going to Dairy Queen. <laughs> the saints are people who see a problem and they run to it. Today is Mother Teresa's birthday. People saw dying people in the streets, maggots crawling out of them, step over them, run the other way. Jesus comes into her life. She's a magnet. St. Damien of Malachi, one of my favorite saints, he ministered to lepers in Hawaii. Most people were running away from the leper. They put them on an island, quarantined them away from the rest of society. He's the only priest that, yeah, I'll go serve them. Let us not be afraid to be open to the surprising things that God might want to do in our life. Jesus is about to be here in this room for you. It's the wildest thing about being Catholic is he finds a way to show up on altars all around the world fully. But here, he's showing up for you tonight in this place. And there's 2,000 years of of blood, sweat, tears, and prayer that have led to this happening. You know, and Father Andrew and Father Josh, like it, it at least takes one dude to give his entire life for Jesus to show up here for you. But that's how much God loves you. That is as far as he's willing to go just to show up for you. And so that's just what I invite you tonight is to be in the presence of Jesus and just be able to ask him and maybe for the first time and say, Jesus, where do you want me to be? You made a lot of effort to be here with me. Where do you want me to be? Because Jesus now, he has no hands but yours. He has no feet but yours. He has no eyes but yours. He has no lips to speak his gospel but yours. That's what Jesus said to St. Teresa of Avila, and that's what he says to you tonight. It's strange he's going to sit up here and just sit there. He's not going to say a word. But he's going to sit there and wait for you to open your heart, for him to change your heart and your body and your mind and your talents to be one with him, to become the Eucharist so that he can walk out of here tonight. And he can use what he's got to meet the needs of the people in this place through his hands and his feet and his lips and his heart. So I just invite you to put yourself before the Lord in this time of prayer. If there's anything that is keeping you from allowing Jesus to really take hold of you, avail yourself of the sacrament of confession tonight. Holiness is something that we allow, we give Jesus permission to fill us with his will and with his very self. And so Jesus just asks you to prepare our hearts to meet you in a new way in which we're brave enough to just ask you, where do you want us, Lord? Where do you want us? On earth as it is in heaven, Lord. On earth 
as it is in heaven.